Hey, Jamie, what are we watching this time? If it's a good one, maybe we'll make out like bandits. I don't get it. satirists and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your supreme being jamie mokel here with my intrepid co-hosts i'm jack olander a semi-immortal being in charge of making uh, miscellaneous rocks i just think they're neat and it's chelsea here a traveler through time a time traveler, as it were. But not a bandit, right? No. Wait, where's my wallet? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, everybody, if you haven't picked it up from the context clues, this week we watched 1981's classic Terry Gilliam film, Time Bandits. Starring a bunch of people. There's, this is a big cast. Yeah. Um... And the first people who get their names in the credits are the quote-unquote big names. But I'd like to highlight the actual main characters. We've got Craig Warnock, David Rappaport, Kenny Baker. That's R2-D2. Wow. Oh, boy. Jack Purvis, Malcolm Dixon, Tiny Ross. You said Dixon. (laughs) (laughs) True. And Mike Edmonds, the real stars of this film. But also featuring John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Ralph Richardson, the voice of Tony J. You'll probably know him from basically all the D&D video games. He's the, the druid in Icewind Dale. I thought he I was, recognized his voice. He was the Beholder Xanathar in Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance that Jack and I played together and Chelsea and I played together many times in the past. Um, also, David Warner plays the evil genius. Nice. Uh, and uh, Ian Holm as Napoleon. Mm-hmm. So big, big cast in this one. Big, big, big cast. Yeah. And more people, too, that I didn't even bother to write down. We don't want to keep going. We don't want to emulate the Bible too much here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but Tony J begat uh, the greatest voice of all time. <laughs> I do think if there's one thing to take away from that, it's that begat needs to get back into modern vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, such a wonderful word. Fair fair point. I've never begat anybody though, so I don't entirely know what it means. Doesn't it mean gave birth to or or sired? It's kind of like sired, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. They're like produced. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this movie was begat by George Harrison. Financially, yes. Yeah, and interestingly enough, this movie has a lot to say about finances, but I'm getting ahead of myself. First, we need a little summary to keep the listeners abreast of the plot. Yes. Here's your epic summary. Time Bandits is a tale of a young boy who's going on an epic quest to save his right to have an imagination. This kid's a real Kevin. 
Because that's the character's name. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to be at odds with all of the adults in the movie. Wherever he goes, he's traveling through time with these new friends he finds. Who are adults. Yes. He's the only one who seems to be enamored with stories. and The only one who kind of has an imagination. Exactly. So he meets these bandits... Who show, <laughs> show up in his bedroom and take him on this quest through time. Their goal is to steal, you know, gold throughout history. Just any treasure. They steal the Mona Lisa at one point. And yeah. what they have is a map of all the holes that exist in creation. They're, they used to be employed by the Supreme Being, uh, helping him build trees and shrubs and things like that. The, yep. But they were demoted, so in retaliation, they stole this map of the holes in all creation, and they decided to exploit it to become stinking rich. Good plan. If I had a map of all time, I might do the same thing. Yeah, get rich, settle down. Somewhere in time. Anywhere in time. So we follow them through all their hijinks, and as they're being pursued by the floating head of the Supreme Being... And um, at one point, Kevin gets separated from them. And this is, he ends up in Mycenae, Greece. He ends up there by himself without any of his new friends, I suppose. And Associates? Business partners. That might be more accurate. Bosom companions? Friends. <laughs> and he meets King Agamemnon mm-hmm. during a battle and befriends him they kind of like each other instantly and he comes back to mycenae the city that the king rules over and um how do we know he's the king he's kind of like celebrated generally throughout the town oh and he gets to wear a crown oh i was gonna say because he even got shit all over him And so he decides to adopt Kevin, and Kevin tells him that he wants to stay there. He doesn't want to go back home to his parents, who only care about what they can buy. And he adopts him. The end. Right? That would be the happy ending for Kevin. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) An ending we might uh, expand on a bit later on, in fact. Yes. Then the bandits end up finding him somehow, and... Through subterfuge and uh, performance. (laughs) Their main skills. Yeah, it's true. They end up spiriting him away through another time portal. And a hole in time. Time hole, please. (laughs) Or or a time butt. They end up on the Titanic, which sinks. And as a last resort, make their way to the Time of Legends. Where they go to a land out of myths and there are all kinds of mythological creatures there that they have to escape giants ogres boats (laughs) anteater people yes all the greatest legendary things that have never actually existed yes or have they Uh (laughs) and they end up finding the fortress of ultimate darkness and this is the seat of all evil in creation. Also known as Congress, am I right? <laughs> hey! <laughs> and this is where the 
evil embodied by the supreme intelligences or what is this the name? evil being the evil being Wait, isn't he uh he is the the intelligence from uh tron right or yes yeah or, or what he no no he's uh he's the program that is helping right the master pro oh yeah that's right he's the program yes david warner great villainous character actor david warner yes so they have a battle with him, of course. It wouldn't be a fantasy movie without an epic battle near the end of the film. Oh, yeah. And um, they bring in characters from their travels all throughout time to help them in the battle because they find out that under this fortress is a, a huge portal that's connected to every place in the universe. Dun, so dun, they can dun. travel to all areas and all times from that fortress. Is that the kind of infinite black soulless void that rests underneath the castle? I think it's the soulless void that exists in all humans. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I do call my skull the fortress of ultimate evil, so. Nice. <laughs> so, um, eventually, right before the ultimate evil is about to kill them all it suddenly explodes and turns to stone in a case of literal deus ex machina exactly because the supreme being's head floats in right then and then he materializes into an old man yeah wait a minute that was just ralph richardson <laughs> <laughs> he sets everything back to rights and has his employees, which are the bandits, <laughs> uh, clean up all of the ultimate evil goo. Or, well, or almost all of it. Rocks. And then they disappear in a puff of smoke, and Kevin ends up waking up in his bed, and his house is on fire. Like you do. And he's in the clothes he was holding in the ultimate fortress, or the fortress of ultimate darkness. So it's kind of leading you to think maybe he dreamed it all. And, and then, his toys are kind of around the room in similar fashion. Yeah, that look like the battle in the fortress. And he's led out to safety from with from um, firefighters who save him. and Including uh, a familiar face. Exactly. So one of the firefighters that saves him has the same visage as uh, the king from Mycenae. King Agamemnon. Exactly. Also known as King Sean Connery, the <laughs> original Scottish Greek. Move over, Gerard Butler. <laughs> yeah. So he also realizes that he still has his bag around his shoulder and he has the, all the pictures he took throughout his travel. So maybe it wasn't just a dream. And um, the last piece of evil that the bandits didn't pick up is in his parents' toaster oven. And he warns them not to touch it. No, and don't touch that. So they immediately touch it, of course, and they explode. Well, I good riddance. <laughs> and they become smoldering piles of ash with reverse smoke. The end. <laughs> yes. Pretty much. So that's your summary there. <laughs> that is actually the end. Thanks, Chelsea. That was an amazing summary. Yeah. And that means now... It's time for the delve when we dig deep into the themes, creation, making of, and everything else about this movie we want to talk about. And I'd like to kick this off with a question I'm going to pose to you two. Nice. Assuming you had a time map, where in time would you guys band it? Oh, that's such a good question. 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, do you want to start it off then? Hmm. An interesting inquiry. I would say if I could travel to any time period... Um, for the sake of banditry. For the sake of banditry. Maybe one or two hundred years in the future. Okay. Yeah, snag some of that technology. Ah. Assuming I'm coming back, you know, a good way to get rich is off the wealth of people who haven't been born yet. <laughs> well, to be fair the to your thing. idea, they do seem in the movie to be able to jump to any time, so you could probably come back. It's true. There's, like, seemingly a spaceship in one scene that yeah. fires lasers. Yeah. So if I could get, like, one of those, I'm just saying, I'd be pretty well off. Yeah, you'd be you set. You could have a ruse that you're an inventor and have people reverse engineer your technology. Yeah, it's true. Nice. I could also just make like a creepy pasta online where I talk about how I was transported to a different time and stole this technology and <laughs> ran away. I'm assuming that would be very profitable. Yeah, I mean... you. Oh, if you wanted to be a writer... You could use inspiration from your travels to write about the different time periods. It's true. Make a bunch of predictions and see how many come true. We call that the uh, Back to the Future 2 approach? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, just like that. That's Yeah, the future seems pretty good. Nice. All right, Chelsea, where are you banditing? I think I would like to bandit... Ancient Greece. I think that would be pretty cool. Ooh, a classic. Probably go to Athens. Nice. I mean... (laughs) You figure all those uh, stinky academics and philosophers won't have shit on you, right? Like, you're just going to hold them all at sword point and and take all their riches. Uh, I just figure it was a seat of power, so there's probably a lot of wealth there at the time. Yeah. It's true. A lot of olive oil. You, uh... You may have to pose as a man as well, though, <laughs> in ancient true. Athens. That's true. I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I could, I could pass. Yeah, you could pull it off. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got that under control. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you know your philosophy. And Just whatnot. slap on a fake beard. I'll yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty much the best way to uh, disguise yourself at any time period. It's true. <laughs> also, another thing, in this film, Time Bandits... Everywhere they go, everyone speaks English. So learning ancient Greece, you ancient Greek, you don't have to worry about. So it. convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I know. So much easier that way. Mm-hmm. I just assumed yeah, that they were using universal translators. That's oh, a bit yeah. of lightsaber English. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So where would I go? You ask. Oh yeah. Where yeah. would you go? Where that's, would you go, Jamie? That's, that's what a, I asked. That's a really good question. <laughs> You know, I gotta say, I don't know if it's the most lucrative uh, choice, but I think I'd want to go banditing with the Vikings, right? I mean, cool. that's like kind of been my dream forever, so nice. why not just get myself onto a nice Drakkar, uh, hang out with some Jarls, and, uh, you know, just uh, go hit the English countryside, if yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Eat Ludafisk, like. The OG Ludafisk. Oh, oh God. Maybe I should change my decision. You, it would, your idea would just be like shooting fish in a barrel, as they say. Well, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all kind of came up with, like, the easy cons. Well, 
the easy score. I think Jax was the most complicated. <laughs> I, I'm taking but probably a, the most profitable. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking true. a journey into the unknown. Dude. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea where you I'm going to end up. You know what else I would do, though? This war-torn wasteland. I would take yeah. anything that I found, time travel to uh, Victorian England, uh, sell all the goods to a museum, Nice. put it in a bank account under... A, a certain name and have it gather interest. Nice. And then come back to my oh, lifetime. Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's so smart. I think you just wrote like a potential sequel to this movie. Oh, dude, I should write that story. <laughs> yeah, that's a good story. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's jump into some of the themes and uh, and such because boy, this movie just <clears throat> kicks you right in the gear with telling you what's going on with the whole uh, materialist and consumerist message or, or yeah, narrative of the film. That was one of the main themes along with um, technology. And they, whenever they were talking about technology, it had more to do with digital technology and uh, yes. of the information age. Yeah, I mean, it's basically associated with evil, like, yes. very overtly. The evil being... Evil and corruption. Yeah, I mean, the evil being talks about how he's going to, you know, learn about computers and automobiles and stuff and use them and to he talks, corrupt humankind. Yeah, and, he talks about that as, like, the primary way that he will control humans. And he says when they're fighting him with the tank and the... Um, spaceship that he controls that technology. I mean, he literally like takes control of those weapons As if while connected. the bandits are attacking him with it. Yeah, like he actually literally controls technology. Yeah, he's connected to it in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that part's pretty like overt. This isn't like, this is barely scratching the surface. But So all the adults in the movie are consumed by something. Yeah, they are materialistic assholes. <laughs> The, the need to acquire more things, the need to, uh, like, material objects, or the need to acquire wealth within yeah. the bandits. The first one was his parents. Yeah. Kevin, who were just Kevin's parents. Constantly just watching TV, not paying attention. They're clearly anti-intellectuals. Kevin tries to, like, regale them with facts about ancient Greece and stuff, and they're just, they're not even hearing a word he's saying. No, they just tell him to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also... Stifling his creativity and imagination. It's true. The parents are watching a show called Your Money or Your Life, in which we see <laughs> a man being drowned in a vat of custard. And he says, well, that's the show, Your Money or Your Life. <laughs> How prophetic that yeah. this movie was in 1981 to uh, predict reality TV like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think they had game shows already. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm just so kidding. that's that's what it was. It was like a game show. Yeah, um, but it was your money or your life. Yeah, yeah, but people, it, the adults in the movie were willing to risk their lives. Potentially, we don't know if they actually kill the people. They definitely kill the people. Jack, that guy was drowning in custard. Yeah, he they... was dead. <laughs> what a sweet way to go. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but they're willing to risk it all for this money because of their materialistic tendencies, their greed. Yes. Yeah. And then other people are willing to watch it. And while they're watching, they're just talking about, like, all, 
We got this new four-slice toaster. Oh, oh you could have bought the six-slice toaster, you know, Jack. Yeah, if you were a real man, you'd have got the microwave oven that cooks in eight seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you got the 12-second toaster oven. <laughs> it is, yes, a nightmare world where, I mean, it is, it is basically a prediction of, of what ended up happening with capitalism gone just insanely uh, out of control. So, in contrast to this, Kevin himself lives in a reality that's rich with imagination and creativity and adventure. Kevin creates his own reality. Yes, as do we all. But I think the contrast kind of highlights the fear that is inherent in kind of all humans as we grow up that we're going to lose a part of ourselves as we grow into adulthood and we're going to lose touch with our imagination and our creative side and it, to some extent that does happen as people become socialized and go about their lives getting a job and like taking on more responsibility I'll go to the office and pay my taxes. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm going to a meeting. <laughs> At this moment... Oh, grown-ups are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> At this moment, I'm fairly certain cubicles are just like job training for coffins. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the wage slaves in Shadowrun. Like people who work at a corporation where they can never leave the building and they basically live in like a little coffin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Kevin craves a life of adventure and it's basically he wants his life to have meaning and I think that's why he wants to stay in Mycenae. Yeah. Well, and he says that he likes Agamemnon because he doesn't care about money, which I guess is in itself is kind of a, a class commentary because I mean Agamemnon Agamemnon is the hero king of Mycenae, like he doesn't need to like, worry about money because he's kind of above the financial system. But, like, Kevin really likes that idea of, like, staying in Athens and getting to just... Or not Athens. Mycenae. Mycenae. Um, and to just kind of, like, probably study philosophy and, and the arts and everything and just kind of get to He actually to wanted to learn how that. to sword fight, is what he said. Well, every little kid wants to learn the sword fight. Yeah, yeah I guess that's fair. And it was funny, though, because like I kind of made a note that it's, uh, you know, there's a scene where Agamemnon is also teaching Kevin to grift, which I thought, <laughs> was, pretty, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Also, another reason why I think Kevin would like that time period is I'm pretty sure they landed at a point in time before Greek currency was a thing. So I'm not sure I saw any coins in those scenes. I, I didn't think. either. It was all like uh, gold and silver looking. More uh, material wealth. Yeah. yeah. It was like, like his go crown. goblets and plates and stuff like that. And, and, and heroism and honor, the highest currencies. Yes. Exactly. Um, I, I, I thought it was interesting how every time period that they go to kind of has its own interesting take on class. You know, they go to the Titanic and then they're kind of living this life of luxury. The bandits yeah. are wearing tuxedos, smoking fancy cigars, getting champagne. But, I mean, I think one of my favorites, definitely my favorite, is when they go to jolly old England of the Middle Ages and they meet Robin Hood, who's yeah. talking about redistributing wealth. <laughs> it's great. As his fellow merry men who are horribly dirty filthy bandits themselves 
are punching the peasants that he's giving <laughs> all the goods to. Yeah, I mean, he, he hands them like some, like more riches than they've probably ever conceived of in their existence. And then the, one of the bandits just gives him a punch in the face. <laughs> not the bandits. Like one of the, the robbers from yeah. Robin's time period. Right. Not really sure what the system of hierarchy is there, but, you know. And, and Robin is played by John Cleese, legendary Monty Python actor. Hilarious. Um, great role for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, in the Robin Hood times, uh, I believe Kevin asked to stay with Robin in the Merry Men. He did? Yeah. And then, or maybe Robin offered a job, but Kevin was excited about it. Oh, he, he wanted did. to yeah. stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the bandits dragged him off. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was another example of when Robin Hood was like, oh, you brought us a bunch of money. Let's give it away. Kevin was like, "Oh, please let me work for you." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah, he found he's a very um, you know he enjoys the past. Yeah, so well, he's yeah, al- he's more concerned with history and he's and altruistic. Learning. No. He is altruistic. Yeah, and he wants to pursue knowledge. And he wants to do something that is more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the time bandits are international criminals who do robberies. <laughs> and I don't think they have an end goal that I know of. No. No, they, they want to get rich. They just want to gather wealth for wealth's sake. Well, they yeah. seem to be kind of like timeless and immortal, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, they were literally like here since the creation of the universe and aided in the creation of the universe. So I think that, yeah, to them, like, accumulation is just kind of a thing to do that's different. Passes the time. Yeah, that passes the time, that's different. Passes the time. (laughs) That's different from, like, what they were used to in creating things. Right. It's like when they lost the ability to create... They had nothing left to do but to accumulate. And what does that really say about our societies? Holy God, it rhymed. It did. I noticed that. It must be true. And yeah, since... I mean, what, once you've lost your ability to be creative, maybe that's the, the message of the film is that you kind of become obsessed with just accumulating more and more. Trying to fill that void. Exactly. That hole, yeah. as it were. Yeah. That time hole. I'm just saying the supreme being is a CEO, right? Yes. And totally. If there was a, a good slogan, right? Because CEOs, they love slogans, right? They do, yes. If you can't create, accumulate is a pretty, pretty <laughs> good Ooh, I think we just came up with a t shirt right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Right we have a list going of all these t shirt ideas we want to do eventually. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If you can't create, accumulate. <laughs> we need to have a picture of him holding the map on the cover. <laughs> He's also like the the most brutal uh, like taskmaster. Like one of the bandits, Fidget, dies by being crushed by like a Greek column, and in the final battle, in the final the battle, evil. Yeah, and the supreme being is just like dead. No excuse for laying off work. And then brings him back to life so that he can, like, keep working. Yeah. That is a scathing indictment of our work culture. Yeah, absolutely. 
And it's only gotten Hust- worse. Hustle culture, yeah. Yeah, it's only, I mean, this is, again, this movie is incredibly prophetic. Yeah. I guess it's kind of sad then when I found out that Time Bandits is going to be rebooted, but on Apple TV. Yeah. It's like, it I kind of it. feels very shallow or hollow to have one of the richest corporations in the fucking world recreating this story about, like, class criticism and the importance of creativity. Yeah. And, like, I mean, they're just, there's no way they're going to do it any justice. I just don't see. I mean, Terry, Terry Gilliam's on board, and apparently Taika is going to be directing the pilot, so maybe it will be subversive. Yeah, but... but to your point, the original message is critical of consumerist culture and materialism. Yeah. So... I feel like you're right. Like, them being in charge could cheapen it. Oh, uh, Apple being in charge? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, that's my biggest worry. I mean, this movie was funded by George Harrison of the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can take that for what it is. And apparently he and Gilliam didn't necessarily get along too well during the creation of the movie. But Yeah, and um, you were saying before that it was part of a... A trilogy of movies that were loosely related? Yes, so this is the first movie, and it follows Kevin, who's a child. The next movie is Brazil, which follows a 30-something, and it's this kind of similar fantastical world. And then the last movie in the trilogy is The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is definitely a future episode of Swords and Satire, which follows somebody in their elder years, kind of Mm -hmm. looking back on their life and reflecting. They all kind of have this vein of the corporate ro- world or rational yeah. thinking crushing creativity the the mass <laughs> kind of the mass culture and um like hierarchical systems are damaging to individual creativity and kind of the ability for us all to express ourselves or and you know it also they in they're all worlds where imagination are stifled right you know baron munchausen is is He's this legendary figure that nobody really believes anything he says, but the movie kind of creates this sense that his adventures and his the magic around him are, you know, real as far as the story is concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like, I like that this movie, The Time Bandits, has these little things that make you go, is it just Kevin's imagination? But then you see the evidence. You know, you see the toys that mirror the final battle, but then Kevin still has the pictures and the piece of evil blows up his parents. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Agamemnon is there as a firefighter, today's modern heroes. Nice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very nice. I kind of saw that connection, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he winks at Kevin. That's like the last shot. Like, he kind of knows something is, is up. Or maybe he maybe he is actually Agamemnon reborn or I think something. If winking is in your like you know mannerisms, uh, like is an automatic plus one to your charisma. And he oh I think so yeah in this film and he has a lot of charisma. And yeah. he does it flawlessly. I have something where I I have an inability to wink properly. No, you just yeah, blink at someone <laughs> aggressively. Chelsea's kind of like Lucille from Arrested <laughs> Development. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and the wink is a, is an interesting sociological study because winking can mean so many different things. There's a lot of context clues that, you know, go into knowing what a wink means. And ending the movie with kind of one of the most ambiguous 
types of nonverbal communication is, right. I think, a really interesting way to kind of leave the audience with an open interpretation of what it means. Right. It, it, it's left up to you what's going to happen to Kevin. Yeah, there's no certainty. <laughs> yeah. We know that his shitty parents are gone, but... <laughs> and his house is gone. But Kevin doesn't care about those things. He doesn't care about houses or parents. He wants to read and learn. In a few hours, he might care. <laughs> Possibly. But, uh, yeah, I hope reading and learning sustains him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like 12, so either he's probably going to get picked up by Child Protective Services. Ooh, I thought it was kind of crazy. That is a dark It ending. was pretty surreal, that the firefighters just drove off and left him there because in our reality they wouldn't just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they would check on everybody and, and make sure that Kevin was taken care of. And if and... he was alone they would probably call the authority, other authorities. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is, you know, it's a movie. It's dealing in the, in the language of metaphor. and. But it's supposed to be absurd. Yeah, too. that too. Yeah, all, a lot, all of Terry Gilliam's movies well they're heavily steeped in absurdity i should say <laughs> <laughs> i'd say they are thoroughly spiced and cooked in a perfect uh or in a complete absurdity broth and you said that his goal with these three films in particular was to make the mundane bizarre uh it was to criticize modernity and mundanity and just kind of the way people um perceive normalcy right like he was critiquing what we think of as normal lifestyles and behaviors portraying normalized behavior in such a way is to make it seem surreal to really highlight how odd it is yeah mm -hmm. it actually reminds me of uh an anthropological kind of thought experiment called the nasarima yeah which is a way of examining American culture the way that an anthropologist might examine a foreign culture. And it kind of, like, points out the bizarreness of the practices that we carry out in our daily lives. The way that we might other a foreign culture. It others ourselves back to us for example like men were described in the study as wearing nooses made out of cloth around their necks neckties yeah so painting a picture in a way to highlight how strange our own practices are that we take for granted because we grew up with this and so somebody in every culture can feel the same way about their own culture um and other cultures may seem strange, but it helps you realize that your own culture is just as strange. Yeah, the reality is all humans are just weird. <laughs> there's, there's no better or worse. Well, there's some worse weirds, but... <laughs> uh, or it can seem strange to an outsider is what I mean. Right. And so it hopefully will help you have empathy for people who live in a different way than yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think Gilliam's good at pointing that type of thing out. Mm -hmm. Turning the mirror back on us. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to say, I can vibe with that message. The mundane, you know, kind of getting into a, like a flow of what's normal, getting into a mundane life. It, it can be, uh, well, boring, you know? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. 
I, I like that the message of this is kind of like, shake it up a little bit, even yeah. if it's insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they don't have an end goal, right? It's just accumulating wealth for wealth's sake and stuff. They're yeah. just like trying to have an adventure. The leader of the bandits has a conversation with Kevin. He's like, you and me, we're not like the rest of these guys. We're looking for experience. We're looking for adventure. <laughs> he gives them yeah. the, we're not so different, you and I, but, like, from two of the main protagonists, which is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can I can get behind that, you know? I like to break, you know, the cycles of life and do some exciting stuff sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Um, I also, there's something else I wanted to talk about. Um, there's a line, going back to the evil being, he talks about how evil existed long before good. And I thought that was an interesting line. Yeah, he got offended when one of his lackeys pointed out that the Supreme Being must have created evil. Right. And he said what you said, and then he said, I, good didn't create, or I wasn't created, I created myself. Right. Yeah. So what's that about? Is this to say that, like, our natural drives and impulses are, like, predate the idea of quote-unquote civilized behavior and thinking or well see let's understand it a little better by juxtaposing that against what happens at the end okay in the end battle when he's about to kill the, the time bandits and kevin um <laughs> he blo turns to stone and then blows up and the supreme being shows up who did that to him and he says that evil was his experiment Right. So we've and got some unreliable says, narration. Here. Yeah, and he says that, oh, it, it, he thought it went rather well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and he wants to gather it all up so he can keep experimenting with evil. That's right, because he's the CEO who has completely no morals and is willing to unleash fire and brimstone and hell on all of creation and have kind of no... He doesn't seem to have remorse. No remorse, thank you. Um, and Kevin even questions him and says, why does evil have to exist? And the Supreme Being and the Time Bandits kind of act like that's an absurd question. And they won't. They refuse to answer him, which I think is just like a great little like nod to the fact that we as human beings have been grappling with that question for millennia. Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Being does say, oh, it has something to do with free will, I believe. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. It, like, he doesn't even know. He's just, like, repeating a Western adage uh, right. back to Kevin. He, it's, it's like you're saying, it's not really a response. Right, it's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to pacify Kevin. So, yeah, I mean, I think to me the, the idea is that the moral authorities, the people in our world who would try to make themselves moral authorities are kind of just as lost and clueless as anybody else. Yeah. That's my At story. At least when it comes to kind of mundane levels of evil, I think that's probably true. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. All the ways, especially in a capitalist culture, that we justify doing horrible things to other people. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I guess it's time for our section that might have a very clear and straightforward answer, but this is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the show where we determine if the antagonist of the, of the film was evil, stupid, or misunderstood. And 
he's kind of got evil right in his name, so... Well, the ultimate evil <laughs> is pure evil, and not all-knowing. He has ways of learning and acquiring new knowledge, but he's not necessarily intelligent, nor is he stupid. He just has a lot of power. <laughs> he's just a lot of evil, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I really don't think he's misunderstood. I think we understand him very well. Yeah. But I have a point. I think the Supreme Being is an antagonist. I can see that. I mean, he's well. chasing them throughout the movie. Yeah. And later on, he says that he let them take his map or let them borrow his map. But he also contradicted what evil said. Yeah. He kind of just spins everything to his benefit. I don't necessarily believe that. I mean, that's just a way to basically save face, pretty much. <laughs> um, so as an antagonist, it's hard to pin him down. Because I don't think he's necessarily evil. I think he's kind of neutral, to be honest. He's cold and kind of removed. So yeah, I think neutral makes sense. Mm -hmm. He's not stupid. I think he could be misunderstood in the way that, uh, like, he's likened to god in the movie but the bandits keep calling him the supreme being and so does ultimate evil yeah i mean and, that's probably <clears throat> a, uh, something of a avoiding too much uh like grounds for being blasphemous especially in like the england and america of the 19 of the early 1980s maybe i mean when kevin tries to call him god uh fidget just says i don't know if he's god i just work for him oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's hard to say, like, I don't, th I think they were trying to get away from, like, completely equating him with the Christian God. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it was only to avoid controversy or if they wanted to kind of open it up to other ideas as well. Yeah, I mean, the Monty Pythons have, uh, have crossed that bridge many times before this movie. So. Yeah, so I think they were trying to avoid it for narrative purposes over controversial ones. So I think that they are kind of portraying him to kind of show that maybe people misunderstand, like, the intention of higher beings, we'll say. Mm -hmm. That they might be uh, good or bad. And the movie kind of points out maybe they're just kind of neutral and don't really care what happens to humans or other beings and they are just experimenting. They just kind of are. Yeah. They're more like, a little bit more like our portrayal, modern portrayal of aliens. Like they just experiment all the time. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of removed an alien from the character. Yeah, they're just that. trying to stave off boredom almost. <laughs> <laughs> By accumulating. Creating yeah. things. They're creating things. Mm -hmm. They were. And they're going to go back to creating moss and lichen, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Which doesn't seem like such a bad gig. No. Shrubs. They're all right. Yeah. So, yeah. Evil and misunderstood characters. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, then on that note, I guess it's time for us to rate this puppy. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you to share an epic moment from the film and then give it a rating between 1 and 10 time maps. <laughs> wow. Jack, do you want to go first? Sure. I guess my epic moment was probably when they went in the Age of Legends. Nice. The first thing we see. I like it already. It might be the boat, but that isn't my epic moment. The actual scene is... <laughs> <laughs> where... We see an ogre, right, with big old tusks. Uh, does he have horns? 
Something like that. He's, big ratty hair, big old beard. Like picture an ogre. That's it. Yeah, not Shrek. <laughs> it's not Shrek. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Yeah. But this was pre-Shrek. It is an ogre. Which is how I uh, measure all time. Yes. And, you know, he's got a back problem and... A foot condition. A foot condition. And his wife is there and she's helping him out, trying to give him medicine, convincing him to take it. And it's actually a quite adorable scene. There are she's this guys. nice, pretty woman and he's this, like, horrible, monstrous <laughs> ogre. Handsome, right? though. Hands, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. strange way, you know, he's got a kind of regal handsomeness to him, but uh, in the most ratty way. <laughs> yeah, in all that hair. Imagine oh, a yeah. rat mixed with like a lion and a person. That's, that's yeah, the yeah. That's pretty good. And uh, yeah, the just the way they look at each other, there's so much love in their eyes, oh. and <laughs> there's more chemistry between those two than like. Most of the romantic couples in most movies. Yeah. We might have to give them best couple so far. Maybe. Maybe. In in all of Swords and Satire history. Dating back to uh, end of last year, middle of last year. (laughs) Potentially. Also, oh, snap. One epic thing I forgot to mention, because it just is giving it like an extra star in my mind, is the guards that work for Agamemnon, the Mycenaean king back in Greece are wearing golden masks, Uh, which are replicas of an actual artifact from the past, which people think may have been a casting of Agamemnon's face. Fun fact, the archaeologists who found that mask carved the mustaches into them because they believed that uh, ancient Greek kings would have mustaches. Yeah. (laughs) Retcon. Yeah, exactly. The classic archaeological retcon. Yeah, let's see. With all that in mind, I think I am going to give this movie seven time maps out of ten. Nice. I think it's creative. It's got some cool morals to it. It's a lot of fun. Doesn't waste too much time on exposition. Historically accurate, low-budget, epic. Historically accurate. (laughs) I heard heard you. (laughs) Perfect. Chelsea, your epic moment and your rating. My epic moment was actually in the ancient Greek city. Um, I liked the part where Kevin was surprised awake and captured and then dressed in robes and put on a horse and then taken into the court uh, where the king was holding court and presented to everyone up on a stage on top of the horse. And then he was led by the figures that abducted him with those golden masks on to the king's side, and the king made a proclamation that he was going to be his son and the heir to the throne. And I thought that was really neat because it had all of the aspects of a ritual. There was removal from the community, removal from his uh, situation. Abduction is sometimes part of ritual. And um, then there was the liminal phase where he's removed from everybody. And then the return back to the community um, altered in some way. Nice. So I thought that that was really a neat moment. Very mm-hmm. cool. And um, I'm going to give this movie 8 out of 10 time maps. It's a, a classic 
favorite for me. I grew up watching this film and I think it holds up to the test of time. I really love it. The test of time. The test of time. as old as time. Well, my epic moment, I'm going to go to the Middle Ages, to the Robin Hood period. Um, When Kevin and the bandits first arrive there, they run into this couple who's having a real bad day. They're, They're out for a nice carriage ride, and long story short, they end up getting banded and um, <laughs> tied to a tree, and everyone refuses to help them, and people just keep robbing them, like, farther and farther, like, just taking more and more of their possessions. And the last time we see them, they are still tied to the tree, they're down to their undergarments, and they're being robbed by a group of monks, which I thought was a scathing indictment of... The opulence and um, the indulgences of the Christian church during the Middle Ages when they would ask people to pay them to assure that their loved ones got into heaven. Right. I figured that that was kind of a commentary on this. A tax on... No, no, no. They were called tithes. Tithes, sorry. T-I-T-H-E-S. Yes. Tithes. And indulgences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where we get that word from. Yeah. Mm, Probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I thought that was pretty funny, seeing the monks robbing these, uh, this poor, unfortunate couple, not helping them, not untying them even. Um, It was very sad, but also hilarious. Uh, I am also going to give this movie eight time maps. It's a little long in the tooth for what it is, uh, but honestly, like I wouldn't want to cut any of the time periods. If anything, I'd love to see some more. The writing is funny, it's witty, it's creative. It was really made on a relatively small budget, which I think is very impressive considering how gorgeous some of the shots look. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, the costumes. Yeah, the <laughs> costumes are great. I love the the bandits' like mishmash costumes from different time periods. They're so amazing. They're wearing like camo pants and napoleonic or and like um sorry like british uh red coats they're wearing you know red coats and mm. some like different ones they all have different things one has a viking helmet one yeah. has like a pot with a candle in it on his head mm-hmm. so cool looks amazing eight time maps nice and on that note it's time to head to the bounty board have for a bounty today this week we have an announcement did you hear that a sequel to the departed was just announced yes really wait huh what just kidding it wasn't but you just 100 believed me are you tired of playing a waiting game called when will my favorite movie get an unnecessary sequel yes Well, a couple comedians got tired of waiting and decided to make those sequels themselves in the form of hilarious audio dramas. In the show Unnecessary Sequels, show hosts Brandon and Walker create fully realized visions of sequels to movies that shouldn't have them. Form of a bad sequel. (laughs) In fact, their trailer was just released. And the first season of six sequels begins on February 12th with Her 2, Him. <laughs> where we discover that new stupid OSs have been made to keep them from evolving beyond us. 
Listen and find out how Adam's character bonds with her new OS named Jeff. Episodes come out each Wednesday. Subscribe now to Unnecessary Sequels wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single one. I know I'll be doing it. I'm definitely checking it out. I'm going to be there 100%. Nice. (laughs) All right, well, that's our bounty for the week. Go listen to Unnecessary Sequels as soon as it releases. Check out the trailer now, though. That seems like the perfect cue for us to do a little rewriting history of our own in our segment called Rewriting History, where we discuss ideas for a sequel, reboot, or spinoff of the movie we just watched. Wow. (laughs) What an amazing concept, right? Yeah. You know, I have an idea, and I'm not sure if it should be a sequel or a reboot. Okay, let's work it through together. I would like to see what happens to Kevin if he got to stay in the Mycenaean city like he wanted to. I love it. And grow up with Agamemnon. Would he become, like, the greatest philosopher of the modern era? Like, you know, we would, like, jump to 2,000 years later and see people, like, studying the philosophy of Kevin. That would be amazing. Could the movie be called Time Bandits 2, The Philosophy of Kevin? (laughs) Oh, that's really good. And it's just all this anti-materialist stuff before materialism became a thing. Oh, that's so good. You see like an offshoot sect of um, like a religion based around this or like a moral philosophy based around Kevin's philosophy. You have these ascetic monks and stuff who are like take vows of poverty, but focus only on uh, enriching themselves and like creativity. They create like artist communes. And he could use some of the values that he learned on his travels, like redistributing wealth. Oh, yes. nice. Yes. He, like, takes all this stuff. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, wrapping up all the stuff from the movie. Because at that point, he's met Napoleon mm-hmm. and kind of seen, like, the abuses that can come with power. Mm-hmm. Right. So, working in uh, something about democracy. There you go. Yeah, also <laughs> classic Greek value. Yeah. Boy, I wish we still had that today. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, not if you're a woman, but uh, yeah, that's true. Kevin loved history, right? Yes. And yeah. Agamemnon, back you know in the mythological days, went with Achilles to siege Troy, mm-hmm. and I'm Who's just Troy? saying. No, 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 the city. Oh, and, oh. Uh, right, right. And I'm just saying, if Kevin went with Agamemnon and Achilles to Troy, he could kind of take a sort of like Herodotus style approach where he writes down the historical events Ooh, with nice. this mythological twist to it. Because Herodotus would write down historical events, but then he would casually mention, like, oh, yeah, and then we bumped into Pan on the way back home (laughs) and stuff like that. And so Kevin could be like, yeah, I I went with Agamemnon and Achilles to Troy, and then on the way, a time portal opened up. And and Robin Hood came out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stuff like that. Then he could keep his imagination alive. Yeah, and he'd, like, write down about England and, like, you know, just like all the medieval oh, feuds yeah, and stuff. Yeah, predicting and then, like the Tudor king, like the Tudor dynasty and everything. Yeah, exactly. And it probably wouldn't turn out exactly the same butterfly effect and whatnot, but it would be pretty darn, you know, revealing 
Yeah. That's pretty good. Can you imagine <laughs> historians in that future timeline looking at his writings and just being like, what the hell was this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I'm, I want to I want to talk about maybe a slightly different idea. Now these are not mutually exclusive. We can totally work in time bandits to the philosophy of Kevin. <laughs> but I'd also like to propose a cinematic universe. Whoa. The time travelers cinematic universe. Ooh. Oh yes. Bill and Ted. Yes. Back oh, to boy. Back to the Future. Uh huh. Other movies with time travel in them. Uh-huh. Uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> and you start to get crossovers of yes. these different time travel capabilities. So Bill and Ted could be the like more materialistic, anti-intellectual side that Kevin has to like find common ground with. Marty McFly... I don't know what is <laughs> what does Marty do? Does a sick Ollie on yeah. his hoverboard. He's trying to he basically keeps trying to fix the time stream to be a positive time like that he like in his opinion for his family. Okay, okay. So what if every time he's trying to fix it to be good for him, he's fucking up time for the rest of everybody else and he kind of becomes a villainous character. Oh yeah. Not that I don't have a you know love for old Marty McFly. Yeah, yeah, but, but he could easily be a villain. Yeah, I think that there's a, I think that he takes credit for um black music, right? He yes. he like takes credit for creating oh, a genre of music that was created by African American guitarists. Yeah. He um has very untoward relationships with his mother. Like there's a lot that we can say that is villainous about Marty or potentially you didn't find in ancient Greece. Then you fair. I kind of like turning Marty into this unintentional villain. Yeah, yeah. He's breaking time and history, not trying to, but he has to be stopped. He is a menace. Yeah. Just like Spider-Man. Maybe he's more of a um, sympathetic antagonist like we Which had, I prefer. Like we had in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ooh, spoilers for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who would, uh, anyone who keeps up with Marvel movies enough to care about spoilers has already seen it. Yeah, you know, exactly. or seen Endgame. I was gonna say, yeah. it already knows that Thanos dies. Or seen, <gasps> oh, or watched videos on YouTube breaking it down. Yeah, it's true. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I like your crossover idea. Nice. I guess Bill and Ted could also be pretty considered pretty villainous. I mean, they yeah. are in the they second would, one, right? I feel they like abduct they would mess people. things up. They abduct historical figures. I feel like yeah. at least half of them kind of want to go. I mean, Soul Crates loves them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Genghis Khan doesn't seem to give a fuck. Dude, no. they coerce or manipulate most of them into coming with them. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I could see them really as the antagonist messing everything up. Marty McFly takes on the role as like in uh you know, like a time cop. <laughs> oh, trying to wait, fix it. What about time cop? <laughs> is that we gotta a, get time cop in wait, here. Is that a thing? Yeah, Jean Claude Van Damme. What? Time cop. I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Nice <laughs> accidental insert there. That, you know, I was, like, suggested <laughs> yeah. Adjustment Bureau-style, like, butterfly effect years ago by Time Cop to plug him in this section nice. of the podcast. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Bill and Ted messing everything up, 
they're traveling around with Kevin, and I feel like, yeah, they're kind of polar opposites as far as the movie goes. Yeah. Oh, just absolutely. based on the moral message. Bill and Ted are just like, yeah, forget intellectualism, just air guitar. <laughs> Yeah, be- so, we're gonna cheat on our exam by traveling through history. This could be multiple movies. Oh uh, yeah, it's a cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Kevin eventually teams up with Time Cop to deal with all these threats. To yes. the time stream. I don't know. If, <laughs> do you think Kevin would? I don't. I feel like Kevin would be anti Time Cop. I think if Time Cop <laughs> <laughs> trying to. <laughs> help Kevin <laughs> maintain a positive timeline. He'd be willing to set aside his qualms to work with him. Maybe they'd like you know they'd have a rivalry going. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Some interesting conflict there. I'm gonna have to rewatch oh. the movie Time Cop and remember <laughs> yeah. what he's like. It's true. Also. They have to, like, save Bill and Ted at the same time from Ooh. the T-1000s. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. I like it. This is good. Yes. This is gold. <laughs> oh, dude, if it ties in with Terminator, it ties in with Alien and Predator. Yup. So. Oh, my God. Oh. And Kevin is the only one with the knowledge necessary <laughs> to, <laughs> to shut down Skynet to stop the predators and to avoid the xenomorphs. It's true. It's his measured <laughs> academic philosophical thinking that is necessary to protect all of the human race. <laughs> I love that Kevin is the key. Kevin is the key. He's still Hashtag like, Kevin is the key. How old is he? Like eight? He's like 11. Yeah, he's, he's still I mean, he's 11. Gonna, he's gonna age. He's I'm, not ageless. I'm crying over here. <laughs> he's not ageless like the time bandage. And the time no. bandage can be these like Loki characters, right? They're just yeah. kind of tricksters that are kind right. of blipping in and out and like fucking things up, but in more of a playful way. Right. And, like Bill and like yeah. Kevin at this point has learned how to, much like the Norse gods, like learn how to kind of turn Loki's chaos into benefits for them. Kevin has learned how to turn the time bandits' chaos into benefits for all of humankind. I like nice. that. This is amazing. I yeah. love it. I think we've got our sequel spinoff here. Well, I'm ready to, to get writing, so we better finish up the show. It's okay. true. That means it's time for the side quest. This week's side quest is I'd suggest that everyone go out, load up your PS4s, and get yourself a copy of God of War. That's right, God of War, also known as Dad of Boy. Boy. <laughs> This is a great fucking game. I mean, the uh, returning axe physics alone make this game a perfect 10 out of 10. It's got a heartfelt story, outstanding uh, visuals and narrative moments, a really interesting multi-character narrative where you're kind of always privy to the conversations between Kratos and his son Atreus, and then later on, spoilers, another character who joins your little uh, band of heroes. Um, It's really engaging. It's challenging. It's one of my favorite games ever. It was fun to watch you play. I felt like I was watching an interactive film. Yeah. Or show, because it lasts a lot longer than a film. 
Um, and like it was fully like motion capture acted by that was really cool. The the actors who did the voice acting too. It makes all the movements and interactions seem much more present and realistic. But something else I was gonna add is that there are a lot of neat collectibles for people who like to like collect everything in a game. Yeah. And like a completion for completionists. Mm -hmm. And all of those have to do with some type of lore. They all give you some type of lore. You help spirits that tell you something about their story. You find these cool like like, paintings, paintings that tell you something about the Norse myths. And then Atreus like kind of interprets the story yeah. through what his mother told him. And so there are other collectibles kind of like that that might give you more powers that yeah. you may not always get just by going on the straight narrative path. Yeah, you're going to want to like really dig into the world and see everything and, and find all the, the hidden Easter eggs and stuff. So it was really cool to watch that and like work together on finding all that stuff it was fun being a spectator because i could help you in that way yeah chelsea was much better at like spotting little details that were like the paths to secrets and stuff and i did all the ass kicking it's perfect because i'm terrible at that kind of stuff (laughs) so i could enjoy my thing and you could do your thing (laughs) and we got to do those things together exactly it was fun. The way the gods intended. <laughs> so Hi- Highly recommended. Highly recommend God of War. The, the new one. Yes. I mean, the first one's okay, but not as interesting. The, the <laughs> most recent one is the most interesting. Yes. Well, on that note, I guess it's time to wrap up here and get back out to the battlefield. <laughs> or to, uh, sorry, to uh, the, the time periods that we're going to be banditing in. Get back to our time portals. Yeah. Um, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, if you don't mind, head on over to iTunes and leave us a little review. It'll really help us get the word out for our show. And uh, definitely go check out Unnecessary Sequels, another great podcast that's about to be released. Also, if you want to see the movies that we watch that week and get some great memes... Check us out on Instagram or Facebook, Swords and Satire. That's right. And you can also email us if you want under the same name and send us any questions you might have and we'll answer them for you in our show. That's swordsandsatire at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. There you go. Now, let us give praise to the one god that Kratos shall never be able to kill. Hail Hail Krom. Krom!